Dude, I feel like I'm going to explode. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. I hate, I hate not preaching, but as long as we got people like Cliff and Terry hanging around, I'll be glad to take a couple weeks off. <laughs> and if you're not clapping, it's because you didn't hear what I said or you were playing hooky and you weren't here. Uh, but Cliff uh, and Terry, man, the messages were so good and so on point, man. It was just powerful. Uh, I hope you guys know, man, what God's doing here and uh, the people he's put together, man. And I, I don't mean this in any reflection of myself whatsoever, but it amazes me that the leaders and the teachers and the people that God is putting together in this small little church, in this small little town, there is no way this is not the beginning of something earth shattering. I just don't believe, there's just nothing about me that believes this is just something small. I believe, and I have believed for a long time, and there were a couple seasons in my life early on in my walk with Christ where this was the thing that just kept me moving. I believe that God moves. I just believe it. I believe that God moves. I think, believe in my heart of hearts since the second that God spoke the earth into existence all the way to right here, right now in this moment, all the way to the end when the clouds part and Jesus comes back for his people. I believe God started moving then and he will move all the way through the rest of eternity. God just moves. I just believe that. And I, and I have fallen in love with this song, Waymaker, like this. I just heard it about this, actually really, truly heard it this week and just had an epic moment of worship with it because I want you to just think about the words, man. Waymaker. He is a waymaker. He is a promise keeper. He is a miracle worker. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. Wake up. This is the God that we serve. I want to taste it. You don't have to clap if you don't want to clap. I'm not trying to get any false motivation out of you guys. I'm telling you to wake up. Not physically. Your spirits need to wake up. You need to wake up. Your mind needs to wake up. Because we serve a God that created the universe. A God that holds time in his hand. A God who is not uh, sitting on some throne somewhere not moving. We serve an active living God who moves just as much today as he always has. We never, there wasn't a time when God, I know theologically, and I know our faith, especially in modern America, our faith has, has gotten down into this little bubble where we've started to put up theological reasons why God quit being powerful, why God quit moving, why God quit speaking, why God quit performing miracles, why God quit leading, and God quit going. But I'm telling you right here, right now, if there is an ounce of doubt in your heart and in your mind that we don't serve a God that still is active, that still moves, that still heals, that still saves, that I'm telling you right here, right now, you're going to miss some of the greatest moments that God has planned for you. We serve a God that moves. But, oh, I, feel, I feel like I'm like, mm. but the reason we didn't all just freak out, because if you really believe the words, especially the chorus to that song, and you really believed the thing that I just said to you, if you really believed it, I mean, the Panthers score a touchdown. I know it's rare these days, but the Panthers score a touchdown. We'll lose our minds. But we talk about the creator of the universe, the spirit of God that's within us, that he still moves and he still says, he does all this stuff. And the reason you don't lose your mind is because I think on a theological level, you believe it. And if you were given like a survey or a questionnaire, you probably check the box. But there is a part of us sometimes that struggles to fully accept that and live in that because in our day-to-day -day life, most of the time, most of us struggle to see it when God moves. I want, just, I want you to pay attention just for a second, just for a second. God always moves. 
I believe that. I'm going to make two declarations. God always moves. Period. But most of the time you miss it. I'm telling you. You know why you miss it? I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to because of the day-to-day life. This morning I was in my upper room. That's what I call my upstairs room because I'm a pastor. Why not? Just start calling the upper room. I go up there and I pray and I study. And sometimes I'll play games and escape and get away from the kids. <laughs> Courtney's like, you're up there praying a long time. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you're right. I, I did pray while I was up there at some portion of the time that I was gone. Yes. I was up there praying this morning, and I was just, I felt the Holy Spirit, and it was so strong, and I was just praying that God would just move this morning. And I come down, I'm like, we're going to start a revival, and it's going to be amazing. And I come down out of the upper room, and then uh, my little son comes up, and he's like, Daddy, I got a potty, I got a potty. And he's a little liar, uh, because when I <laughs> took him in there, what he should have said is, Daddy, I already pottied, because when I pulled down, his pants just, you know, fell out onto the floor. And I was like, you know what, I, I feel like if, if, if I was to ever read about some international great moment and you know, revelation and revival, I feel like it, it probably wouldn't start with this. <laughs> and, and this is the truth, though. This is the truth. We, we miss God because we, we get lost in the day-to-day moments, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the greatness and the majesty of God moving and working and then our children's, you know, on the ground. It's, it's easy when we're all together on Sunday morning and, and a song like that comes on and we just lose our minds and we, there's a sense of motivation and inspiration and we believe it and we get it, but then we wake up on Monday morning and we still hate our boss and we still wonder uh, if, if our marriage is ever going to be anything than not getting divorced and we still, we still wonder, like we love our kids, we do love them, we do love them, <laughs> but you know, like... <laughs> I really didn't think when I took this job 20 years ago that, uh, that I would just be sitting in this, this little office staring out the wall, wishing every day that maybe God would just take me home already because I hate what I've chosen to do with my life. That when I get in the car and I'm listening to music that I, I think that like, man, this is like the best part of my day is going to be listening to the bands that haven't been cool in 15 years. I'm just starting to realize that I'm already that I was talking to some kids today, and they were like, what's your favorite band? And I just said them. And they were like, who? who? And I was like, you've never heard of them? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, it happened. I don't know when it happened, but it did happen. <laughs> and in all of that, to getting older, to getting chubbier, to getting whatever, life becomes normal. We believe it, but it's just so difficult to see it. God moves, but we miss it. And I feel like God has just put on our hearts, put on my heart for this church, this house, this moment, for the next few weeks to look at the reasons why we miss the move in our life. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about some epic, you know, revival, some big, huge thing, international, and I'm I'm not even talking about what God's doing in our house, in this house, just just in this community. I'm talking about the day-to-day you, your Monday to Saturday night, not, not the church, not, not this, but you, your life, your day-to-day, your marriage, 
Like your kids, your family, your job, your, all the way from the, the big epic ideas of purpose all the way down to you just trying not to flip the guy off that just cut you off. Like just everything and in between. I believe God moves in your life. I am fundamentally convinced that every great massive move of God that winds up affecting or touching or changing a community or nation, it's just a, it's a, it's a puzzle that has been put together by a whole bunch of individuals that are seeing and allowing and experiencing God to move in their life as individuals. There are no move of gods that are built around a singular man or a woman or a person or even a team. It's all of us together. And God moves, but we miss it. And I want to look for a few, a few weeks at why we miss it. I'm going to introduce a guy. His name is Naaman. Naaman was a great man. Bible, first King, or Second Kings, chapter five, first verse. You get a, you get a detailed description of Naaman. Naaman was a great, great, great man, great leader. He was uh, the commander of the army of Aram. <clears throat> he had tons of respect from the people. Uh, he was second only to the king. Of Aram, uh, and, and, and the Bible says something specifically, and I want you to know a little bit about Aram, Aram itself and Naaman really fast, because it, it says something unique about Naaman, why he was so great, why he was so respected, why, why he had national and international influence, why he was who he was. It said that, that Naaman uh, was respected in, in all these positions and all this influence because by him, by him, the Lord had given Aram victory. By Naaman, the Lord had given Aram victory. But what's unique, and the reason I think this first sentence is so important is because it should open up our eyes uh, to every to the direction God's just going to go uh, in, in the rest of the story, is that Aram is like the sworn enemies of Israel, God's people. And in fact, Aram is the one, uh, is, is what is now Syria. And, and they, they pretty much were a thorn in the, in the side of Israel for a long time and, and defeated them on a regular basis. And there's a lot of, of, of extra. Now, this isn't in the Bible, uh, but th there's a lot of ancient uh, historical texts, uh, uh, Syrian uh, and uh, Aram historical texts that actually say that it was Naaman, uh, the one that we know in the Bible, that when King Ahab of Israel died in battle, that an arrow flew through the uh, air and hit him. And there's a lot of ancient, historical texts of, of, of the Aram in, in Syria that says that Naaman was actually the one that pulled the arrow, and that was the thing that kind of moved him forward and gave him this huge platform. Now, take it or leave it, it's not in the Bible, but we, we see the other side of it in Scripture. But either way, we do know that Naaman was used by God. Naaman was used by God to give Aram victory over Israel. I think sometimes one of the reasons why God, and I want you to hear why I'm saying this, one of the reasons why God uh, wants us to pray for our enemies or the people that we perceive of our enemies is because a lot of times it's God actually using them to bring some defeat into our life, to teach us something, show us something. And that, that a lot of time, uh, it, it doesn't make sense, especially like in our modern American viewpoint uh, of God, it, it doesn't make any sense. We never think, think that we're the bad guys. We never think that we have anything to work on. It's always everybody else. And we think that when God moves, it always means victory for us. When sometimes when God moves, it actually means some defeat for our flesh, for our nature. There's things that need to be cut off and taken away from our life. And, and it's unique. And so it's difficult to wrap your mind around that up front. But that's just, the, it's going to be the foundation and give credit to the rest of the, to the, rest of the scriptures. And, and, and not only that, Naaman did not know God. And it's important, that, especially for this message, that you wrap your mind around this. Damon was great because by him, 
By Naaman, the Lord gave Aram victory, gave him national fame, national influence, national power. He was the leader over all the armies, second only to the king himself. But Naaman didn't know God at all. But the Lord used him greatly. Wrap your mind around that. Oh, the Lord needs me and doesn't need you for nothing. I know that we live in a world where, where we're always the good guys and everybody else is the bad guys, but I want you to understand there's one good guy, his name's God, and everybody else are the bad guys. And the reason we have a relationship with God is because of love and mercy and grace and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so I, I, want, I want you to understand from point one in this story about Naaman that everything that you think should be right is wrong and everything that you should expect to happen, it's not going to happen like that. And Naaman was this great, great, great man, but Naaman had one weakness. Naaman had leprosy. He had, a, and it wasn't a, a, a life-threatening form of leprosy because that could, that, that did exist. Uh, he was obviously able to still do some things, but it was a very limiting and a very difficult uh, part of his life. Uh, and everybody closest to him knew this uh, because uh, it, as soon as uh, the ser this servant girl uh, brought up the the hope and the ability that maybe Naaman could go and be healed. Uh, everybody in his life knew that he was struggling. Probably Naaman, uh, with his power and his influence, probably went to every perceivable option to be healed from this thing. Every doctor, uh, every you know, magician, every wizard, every, everything in Aram, everything that he could get his hands on, he would probably drink every ointment, you know, did, did everything that he could um, uh, to do this and found nothing. And, and one day uh, it says that the servant girl, who was a servant in, in war with Israel, was kidnapped. And now she served as Naaman's wife's servant, said to Naaman's wife, um, it would be really cool. Now, that's not the Bible. That's me summarizing. Uh, she didn't say it would be really cool. I don't want anybody to be like, what translation did he use? I didn't see it. it said really cool. Um, she said to Naaman's wife, why don't you, why, wouldn't it be really cool if, if Naaman could get to Israel? Because I, I know that there's a man of God there uh, that has really, that's done some crazy powerful things. And I think that Naaman could possibly be healed. Um, but from this leprosy. And so the wife tells Naaman, and then Naaman, uh, just wanting any hope uh, of, of potentially being healed and this being gone from his life, went to the king of Aram and said, hey, listen, this servant girl says there's this thing over here in Israel. And, and he says, no, go. I want you to do it because I'm even going to send you a letter. And so uh, the king uh, gives Naaman this letter uh, to give to the other king of Samaria. And, and he gathers, Naaman gathers all this wealth together, a significant amount of wealth, puts some chariots and horses, makes a little army to protect the wealth. Uh, and, and he heads off uh, to Samaria and he goes to the king and he gives him the letter. And the letter said something like this, like, uh, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you uh, for you to heal him of leprosy. And the king of Samaria freaked out, knowing that he couldn't heal anybody of leprosy. And he thought this was like a strategic trick. And he basically just like had a small panic attack, freaked out, ripped his clothes, just didn't handle the pressure very well. Elisha hears about it, uh, then sends a messenger and says, hey, why are you freaking out, moron? Send Naaman to me, and he will know that there is a God in Israel. And so this is where we pick up. 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5, starting with verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. 
Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. So I want, I want, I want, I want to, I want to just look at this just for a minute. I just, I, because I'm telling you, so much of your life is being spelled out right here, right now, right in front of you. The reasons you've missed God moving in your life so much. One of the biggest reasons being played out right in front of you. And I want to I just knock something off the thought process really fast because it, it, might, be, it might be because I've read this, uh, you know, I've read this story, I've said this story a long time. Uh, and, and, and for a long time, I just kind of thought like, you know, this was a lesson on pride. It was a lesson on pride. You know, Naaman was this big man and he, he thought he was too good for the thing and the rivers and, 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 and it was a pride thing. It's not a pride thing. Pride definitely plays a part in it for sure. But it's not a pride thing. That, that's not it. Pride's there. Pride's present in all of us. It's there. It plays out in different ways. But that's not the issue. That's not the conversation. Uh, pride would be like if, if, if he believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that God was involved in it, but he was too good for it. And then he walked away, you know, like that. He, but he, something caused him to believe that God was no longer involved in this if he ever was to begin with. Now, you, you, you do have to accept this one thing that on some level, you know, Jesus says, well, we need the faith the size of a mustard seed. And, and on some level, Naaman had this because Naaman involved two nations, risked battle, involved two nations, involved two kings, uh, and, and, and got acquired a lot of his wealth, got his wealth together. Uh, he's got to pay the soldiers and all these people that's coming out. He's taking the time to go out and do this. On, a, on some level, he believed, and he, he believed that he could be healed by this God in Israel. He believed on some level he could do it, or he wouldn't have gone through all the trouble to do this. So on some level, he does believe it and he shows up. But I want you to see, because you see in the first sentence, you see exactly, exactly what the real issue is here, exactly what really happened, exactly why he went away angry. And I want to show you this. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought... Say that, I thought. That was your first mistake ever in your relationship with God. I thought. Say it again, I thought. I thought. One more time, I thought. I thought. I thought. I thought that he would surely come out to be. Now, you, you just need to step into the story because this is, to me, this is the visual I have. I'll show it to you. I thought he would surely come out to me and he would stand and he would call, oh God, and he would wave his arms around. And I'm just imagining in my mind like a, like a tribal dance. And it would be like this mystical, magical, and he would like, you know, he would just have some, he would just, there would be this just like mesmerizing you know, I'm thinking just like, just, just this thing. And he's like, I'm shocked. I thought he would come out and he would wave his hand over the spot and it would be like this magical thing. And maybe, maybe even like, you know, because Naaman probably heard about Elijah, which is Elisha's predecessor. And he probably heard about the famous, you know, skies parting and fire falling down from heaven. And, and he was like waiting on something like, maybe this dude's going to come in and like the clouds are going to, and the fire is going to come down and then I'm not going to have leprosy. Maybe even I'll be taller when I leave. I mean, like he had this, like this thing of this moment. And I just can't, I just feel like he was expecting just like a witch doctor just to come waddling out. And, and this old wizard like Merlin, 
or something like that or something off Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know. I just, but Elijah didn't even come outside. <laughs> it was like he was, a, like Naaman was an annoyance. <laughs> He's like, just go tell him to go take a bath and he'll be fine. And so the messenger goes outside and, and he says, and I'm going to tell you something. Naaman's biggest issue was that what little bit of faith he had, it was wrapped up, so wrapped up in the expectation of the way he thought God was going to move, that when God moved in a different way, he no longer believed God was in it. I'll just sit just for a second. He was so convinced. This is the part where pride may have played in. But listen, all of our expectations come from the good and the bad parts of us. All of our expectations and the way we think things are going to play out comes from the way we're raised, comes from our background, comes from the sins that we do struggle with, comes from the, the pride, the greed, the lust, all the things that, 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 we, that we struggle with. It doesn't, really, it doesn't have to be the same, but all of our expectations and the way we think things are going to play out, it does come from a human part of us. And that's why you can't trust an ounce of it. But sometimes we are so convinced that when God moves that he's going to move in a certain way, we keep waiting rather than waiting on God. We keep waiting on that way to play out. And when it doesn't, we walk away convinced and thinking, God never answered my prayer. God never moved. God never showed up. God wasn't there. God this, God that. And in reality, he moved and he probably moved over and over and over and over again. But because he moved different than the way you expected him to move, you convinced yourself that somehow, some way, that you're such a brilliant genius and that you have so much confidence in your ability to think and process thoughts that you connected and you took the God of the universe that spoke the universe into existence, that whole time in his hand, you put him into a small little box and you said this is the way God moves and you tunnel vision looking for that but I'm going to tell you something God almost never moves because you don't have a brilliant thought in you compared to the worst of God's thoughts you don't have an ounce of strength or ability to reason or logic or figure it out. But this right here is going to be the sole reason some of you go to church your whole life convinced that God doesn't speak. He's speaking. You're not listening. Convinced God doesn't move. He's moving all around you. You just don't see it. Convinced God doesn't answer prayers because you're looking for one thing when he's giving you another thing. And you don't see it. Why do you think the Pharisees and the religious leaders who committed their entire life to the word of God, to knowing the theology and expecting the savior of the universe, that when he showed up, they so missed the move that they were the ones that killed Jesus. They spent their whole life saying, this is the way God's going to be. This is what he's going to look like. They wanted some king on a throne with some big uh, uh, army to show up, and he came as a baby in a manger, and they killed him for it. I think he's going to come. He's going to be this great man. He's going to have all this power. He's going to unite us. He's gonna, and, and, and their greatest mistake was he's going to need us. And they were on board with a whole bunch of it until they realized this Jesus guy can't be the Messiah because he acts like we're not important. So it can't be God. I'm going to tell you something. 
I don't, I, I, I don't think, I'm not, a part of me believes one single person thought they were killing the Son of God. They thought they were killing an imposter. God even prophesied in, in the Old Testament and said, they will beat you, persecute you, and kill you and think they're doing it for God. That's how much they're going to miss the move. From day one, day one, we missed the move of God. Everybody thought there was going to be a rebellion and they were going to overthrow Rome. Nobody knew that victory to God was dying on a cross. They thought that he would start a reign, a millennial reign, this huge forever reign. And nobody knew that the whole thing would start with death. I want you to hear me right here, right now. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you helped start this church or this is your first time here. I'm telling you right here, right now, if there is an ounce of you that believes in God and another ounce of you that believe that he still doesn't move, you are setting your life up for failure. And if you've got some uh, denominational box around God or you've got some uh, nature of, uh, around God where you think this is the way God moves, this is the way God speaks, this is the way God looks, this is the way God does, I'm telling you right here, right now, there's never been a human being from the first all the way to the last that has ever said this is the way God will do it because I think it is and God listened to them. In fact, I'm convinced that whatever way you expect God to do it, just for the reality of showing you that you are not God yourself, He'll do it a different way. I'm convinced of it. And I'm going to tell you, if you look at this, there's a few things the Lord just brought out in this. He was expecting this big epic moment. It was a magic show. Instead of a magician, God sent a messenger. And there's a few things that the Lord has put on my heart that I want to share that you can see this in day-to-day life. And I'll use the one because we all got financial issues. Nobody ever has enough money. Nobody really, we all pray. People pray all the time. Oh, God, I need more money. I need to be able to pay my rent. I need to be able to do this. I need, I need, I need a new Jaguar, whatever level you're on, whatever you think need is. Everybody in America, they list statistically the homeless people in America are richer than some of the wealthiest people in other nations and countries, okay? We, we all, no, none of us have financial issues because we all can eat. There's entire nations that don't even have food and water, okay? So we pray, oh, God, move, oh, God, move, oh, God, move. And you think in your mind, I used to think like this. I was an idiot once. Yeah, you, you think in your mind, oh, God, I need, I need, I need money. I need a bus. I'm not going to be able to eat. You know, I'm traveling around. I'm sacrificing for you, God. I'm traveling around in my Jeep, and I'm preaching and all this other stuff. And, uh, and then there's another missionary about, you know, in another nation with his head on a block about to be decapitated. And then every time I had that thought, I was like, you know what? I got it pretty good. So uh, God bless me, bless me, bless me. I need money. I need to be able to pay my bills. And you have in your mind that it's going to come in the form of like, you know what? You're going to walk into your office one day. Your boss is going to be sitting there waiting on you. He's going to have tears in his eyes, a bag of gold maybe. And he's like, I'll tell you something. I come down this morning and there was an angel eating cereal at my table. And I don't even really believe in God. Uh, but he was like, hey, man, uh, the best employee you got, it's Kevin. And you need to give him a raise. And so I, here's the money and you just, you just tell God and you just walk away in victory. As absurd as that sounds, that's how we think though. When in reality, God does something like this. And I just, I'm just going to share it. It's so specific. I'm breaking every rule of communication by getting this specific. But it's something the Lord put in my heart, and I couldn't let it go away, so I just thought I'd share it, okay? It's all made up involving very real people, but it's all made up. It's not true. God, 
God. Listen, we think we're looking for like a magic show, this big moment, which David Copperfield moment. And instead, God sends somebody like Don Green into your life. You know Don Green? If you don't know Don and Maria Green, they're amazing people. They go to the church. They're part of our core. Uh, they're amazing people. Don, like me, has an has a, a infatuation with God's wisdom on finances. Uh, and he, he, he loves Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, and he teaches the Bible study, the Financial Peace University. And so I just want to show you, give you a real made-up story. I promise it's made up. I'm sorry if your name's Kevin, and I'm sorry if this actually happened to you. <laughs> but you're praying, God, oh God, oh God, bless, oh God, teach, oh God, oh God, oh God, money, oh God. And then you get out of your car, and you go into your gas station, and you run into Don Green. He's wearing a, a pursuit shirt, and you're like, oh, hey, I go to pursuit. And he's like, I go to pursuit. And he starts talking. He's like, is there anything I can pray for you about? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm actually in this horrible financial situation. I'm praying for God to bless me. And I'm really thinking an angel is going to show up in my boss's house, and I'm just really believing that that's going to be true. And, and Don's like, well, listen, you know, if, if none of that crazy stuff actually happens, I teach uh, Financial Peace University. We're starting on Monday. Why don't you come, and you can learn about all the principles of God. And you're like, sure, Don, whatever. And you shake his hand. He's just annoyance to you because you just want to get out of the gas station. You go get in your car, and you drive off, and you keep going, oh, God, I believe you're going to bless me financially, when in reality, you just miss God moving in your life. Because you're expecting some big promotion, some big paycheck, maybe Uncle Ferdinand from Spain you didn't know you had died and left you $74 million estate. You know, and like, you're waiting on this, and you, you didn't realize that, that God's doing the best, because God knows that you still don't understand what debt is, and he knows if you get a salary bump from thirty to 60000 all it's going to do is let you go deeper in debt and ruin your whole life. You know, you're waiting on the finished product, on the house, the completion, and God's sending you the plans. You're waiting. Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed. He says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's as small as a mustard seed. It's really little. It's the smallest of all seeds. But then when you put it into the garden and it grows, it's the greatest and the largest of all garden plants. And you're looking around, driving around, looking for the tree. And God's literally trying to hit you in the face with the seeds. And going, you're never going to get the tree if you don't plant the seeds. You're looking for God to like change your marriage. This is another one I felt so strong in my life. Yeah, God, I, I feel like the standard kind of today is like just don't get divorced. That's good marriage. I, listen, I don't want to just not get divorced. I want to enjoy my marriage. I want to, I want to love my wife. I want, to, I, want, I want it to be amazing. I want to wake up every day. You know, I, I, want, I want to be able to, us to do life together and live together. I want, us, I want us to enjoy the moments. I, I want the best. I want intimacy and joy. I want all this. And I prayed for this all the time, just like you guys do. But sometimes we think in our minds, and I used to be like this, like, I need, to, I need to go to some conference. I need, I need to get in front of, like, the best preachers of marriage. I need to read all the books. I need to, you know what, I, I'm going to go, and I actually had this thought. This is real life. I actually believe this. I got a mountain trip a couple years back, and I'm like, we're going to go up there, and I'm praying, and I'm believing. <laughs> yes. We're going to get up on the mountain. The sun's going to be going down. Uh, the clouds will part. Holy Spirit will come down. We will just look in each other's eyes. We will see it. We will have that moment. It will never be the same. Nicholas Sparks will call us and interview us about marriage. And it will be epic. But then in reality, God answers your prayers like this. When you get back from your mountain trip and nothing happened, you show up on Monday and your boss takes you in his office and gives you a negative evaluation you didn't see coming and he just rips your whole soul out. Just tells you, man, you're so prideful, you're so self-interested, you're so self-focused, these are my issues. And he says, listen, this is who you are. I had this moment 
His name was Cole Strong. I hope he listens to this one day. I had this moment in my life. He drug me in, drug me, drug me in the office, and he said, hey, I got to tell you something, Jordan. It's going to shatter your whole world. As God is my witness. I was 24 years old. He said, this is going to shatter your whole world. He said, did you know that the whole universe wasn't revolved around you? Did you know that? I was like, oh, this isn't going where I thought it was going. But God will do stuff like this. He'll take your boss in there and he'll rip your soul out. And listen, your boss doesn't even know God. And so you don't even try to give it a thought because you don't even know God. But remember, God will use anybody. And the reason you had to use your boss is because you are so arrogant. And you won't listen to anybody around you. You won't listen to your wife or your husband, your kids. You won't listen to the people in your small group. You won't listen to the people closest to you. You don't have it. So God did the one thing that he could do. He pulled the boss, the one person that you don't have the right to not listen to. And he set him down and he ripped your soul out. And you left defeated thinking, God, I don't even need to be praying about my marriage. I'm about to lose my job. Now I got to be praying for God to, you know, I got to run into Don Green somewhere. Like this is, this is the thing. And, and God just saved your marriage. He, get, he moved in your life. He exposed something to you that nobody else had the guts to expose. He he used it because he knows the only thing, the most limiting factor in the intimacy and the joy in your marriage is your own selfishness. It wasn't mine. Do you know how long I prayed for God to fix Courtney? I'm telling you something. This is what God does. This is the way God moves. You're praying, oh God, oh God, let me change the world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna write books, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pre, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go to mission trips, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the world, Father. I'm gonna just do this. I'm gonna change my whole company. Like I want, I want it to start here. You know, I want, I want the whole world to change. And you're in there praying in your office during lunchtime or whatever, and and you're like, you know, if I could just get in front of the CEO, or if I could just get to the VP, or if I could just do this, and I could change the company, I could change the world, and I could do it. God needs me. I'm the man. Let's roll. And the janitor comes in to your office because there's a leak. And he says, what you reading? You're reading the Bible? And you're like, I'm reading the Bible. He's a super annoying guy. And you're just like, God, I wish you would just get out of here. And he fixes the leak. And he leaves and closes the door. And you're like, thank God. And then you get back to praying about reaching people. And then you forget that why on earth would God ever put you in front of a CEO when you don't even have the vision to see that the janitor was asking you about the scripture laying on your table. These are all the reasons why you will think you're going to be great in life and you never, ever, ever reach it. And in case you want to know what my definition of greatness is, my definition of greatness is doing the thing that God put you on this earth to do. You, you, you want to manage a palace, but you don't even manage a parking lot well. You want God to give you some great opportunity, but you're too good to serve on the little volunteer teams at Pursuit Church. You're waiting for some epic moment. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you right here, right now, do you know how the Lord's, reminded me of this and if you've heard this once you've probably heard it a million times if you haven't heard it it's a pretty cool story it's one of the small ways that this whole thing came to happen when I was younger I was stupid and that was the best part of me <laughs> I got saved and and I started preaching and it was horrible um, the first time I preached it was so bad uh, that I, I literally got off the stage and I was like I will it God if it's ever like that again even once I will never do that again it was horrible. But uh, a few months later, they asked me to do this youth conference, and I thought they were going to ask me to preach at it. But apparently, everybody realized how horrible I was uh, because they wanted me to help with the organizational side and to raise the money. And I was pretty offended because I was really prideful, and I was like, how dare they not ask me to preach? I'm the great prophet. And uh, I get in the car, and I'm all frustrated in my life. 
And I'm like driving down and a commercial comes on and I'm like, I've never raised money in my life. What is this? And it said, it was 106.9 and it was like, we want to thank Lake Norman Marina for giving to, and I'm like, hey, if they gave to a Christian station, maybe they'll give to me. So, you know, back then I didn't really think about planning or wisdom or even common sense intelligence. And I just drove immediately over to this, I Googled it and I went and found this marina and I walked in and uh, I don't know who got fired after I left for letting me get into his office, but I went and found a guy named Mark Kell owns Lake Norman Marina. And what I didn't know about Mark Kell in the moment is that Mark was in the process of about to start a church with a group, a small group of people. Uh, and, and they had been praying for a long time for God to move and, and, and for God to move in this area. And, you know, and, and I'm telling you something right here, right now. I didn't think it. He, nobody, 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 nobody thought I had anything to do with that or they had anything to do with me. We didn't even know each other. And I walk in and I'm sure convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that what Mark expected God to answer his prayer wasn't me. Uh, but when I walked in, his face was like, huh. It was a very fun meeting. He didn't talk a lot. He just stared at me. Uh, ended the meeting with, is there like an adult I can talk to? And uh, told me to come back the next week. And I'll never understand why, but I'm glad he did it. Um, this is the thing I want you to know is that, that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I wanted to be used and, and I wanted to be this and I wanted to be this. And, and there was not a bone in my body that expected God to open up the doors he did to have pursuit be what it is. And if Mark had, had, had his expectation would have been God's going to send us, you know, uh, like resurrected Billy Graham. God's going to send us a seminary theologian, maybe even a doctor. There's just going to be somebody that's going to show up and be like, hi, I left my church of 10,000 to come down here because the Lord split the heavens and now I'm here. And let me, let me. Instead, God sent me. And I'm telling you something. I do inspire great faith in people. Not for the reasons I want to. Because when people meet me, they're like, there must be a God in heaven that he would ever be able to take somebody like this dumb punk kid and do anything. And I'm going to tell you something. Had Mark, Mark's faith been wrapped up in the way he expected God to move, none of us would be sitting in this room right here right now. There's been hundreds and hundreds of people giving their life to Christ that we know of people have come in never going to church never knowing the Lord have been saved in this house. There was, I'm telling you when we wanted a new building I knew we needed to get out I'm going to tell you what, the grocery store was the bottom of the list that I expect that this would be the thing that God opened up and I'm going to tell you something every single step of the way in my life and I think in the life of this church and I think anybody who's been a part you would know every single great and mighty amazing thing that God has done has been polar opposite of the way we expected it to be done and I want you to hear me, and I'm going to say it again. God always moves. Always. He's moving in your life. I'm telling you, you just don't see it. And you're waiting on something grand, something great, something amazing, something here, something there. And it's going to come in the form of the little things, the small things, the things you don't expect. I'm going to close with this, and then I'll be done. I feel like this is just for somebody. Naaman was a great man, powerful man. And he expected this God that he heard stories about to use kings and great prophets. That's because it's why he went to the kings. He involved two kings and nations. 
and this great man, this great prophet. But if you go through and you read the whole story, there was only one type of person that God actually used through the entire process, servants. It was the servant girl, young teenage servant girl of his wife that told him about the man of God. It was a servant that walked out of the house and gave him the directions to go down and take a bath in the Jordan. And it was his personal servants that saved him from missing the moment. It says, but Naaman went away angry. And I said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's sermon, servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendees went back to the man of God, stood before him, and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. God only used the servants. I'm telling you right here, right now, God's made too many promises about taking infants to squash nations. If you're looking for God to move in your life through great grandeur, you're gonna miss it. He comes in the silent baby in a manger type of situations. He moves in the servant girl while you got your eyes on the king. He moves in the small little no-name outburbs of Bethlehem or Denver instead of the super well-known on TV, all these great and mighty things. God always works through the things you are not paying attention to. And because of that, because God moves in a different way than we expect Him, we will miss it. And my hope and my prayer is that God will open up your heart, open up your mind this morning. He'll take the blindness off so you can see that God is still moving. You're just not paying attention. If you guys will stay.